You guys know what really makes me upset. Morsicaccio Bookerum. Am I right or am I right? We all hate it, but sometimes it is unavoidable. How many of you guys have inflicted yourself with Morsicaccio Bookerum recently? Just the other week I did it, and I remember mentioning it to Amber when it happened. And the worst part is, it just keeps getting worse. Because it's just there, and it's in the way, and you just keep hurting yourself over and over again. Okay, I'm going to stop pretending that we all know what Morsicaccio Bookerum means. Morsicaccio Bookerum is better known as biting the inside of your cheek. That's the, that's the scientific name for that wound. Have you guys ever bit the inside of your cheek before? Yeah. Woo! That moment when a delicious fry or a cheeseburger or a spoonful of ice cream becomes the very weapon your own body uses to inflict harm on itself. <laughs> There's just something about biting the inside of a cheek that puts a damper on my day for days and days because not only is it painful, but the worst part is, is that it gets swollen and irritated and more sensitive, which makes it a hundred times easier to inflict the same wound again. Have you guys ever been trapped in this cycle of reoccurring mouth injury? <laughs> Where it just, you gotta get stuck biting that same part of your mouth over and over again, maybe your tongue or your cheek, and it's just, it's like there. Every time you eat, sometimes when you're just talking, you end up nicking in, you're like, mm. Well, the thing is that Morsicaccio Bookerum is a lot like conflict, isn't it? We get into conflicts and all of a sudden there's an injury and it's very sensitive. And this type of injury makes it a lot easier to inflict the same kind of injury again because we're now more sensitive to it. So when we get into conflict and our feelings get hurt, that part of us becomes sensitive, inflamed, bruised, and it's really easy to be re-injured especially by that same person. And if that relationship isn't healed with the correct methods, the injury can persist, and it can get even worse as time goes on, because inevitably that injury will probably come up again, and it gets more sensitive. And this easily accessible part of our hearts gets bruised, metaphorically speaking. So sometimes, to stop this from happening, we put up walls, so that... This very sensitive part of us can't be hurt anymore. That doesn't solve the problem, that just hides it. Sometimes we become attackers and we hurl things at anyone who gets too close. We're up on our city gates and someone's coming very close to that sensitive area and we throw rocks at them. Stay away. That doesn't help the injury either. <clears throat> and we get trapped in these cycles where people in our lives hurt us over and over again. We get trapped in these same conversations, these same conflicts, or we hurt people over and over again. It's a lot like biting our cheek. But that isn't what we want, is it? No one likes biting their cheek. It's, it hurts. And we don't want this wound to be open and exposed. We want it to heal. We want to, we want to do it in a way that God likes. And I think that God provides insight in how to soothe these wounds how to heal conflicts or restore relationships after they happen. And I, I believe that God gives us methods and steps to take to restore these relationships into a healthy and functioning, productive way.
So in continuing with our Bumping Head series where we're looking at conflict, we're going to look at what it takes for us to restore a relationship in a godly way in pursuit of putting old injuries behind us and becoming loving and productive in our relationships. So this message is going to have some overlap with what we talked about last week because we, last week we talked about the general principles of conflict resolution. Is my mic off? That's great. Well, I think the only double A's we have are at my house. But that is not the only microphone we have. So I'll use this handheld today. I'll go old school. So, sorry for anybody who's on the live stream. So this week we're going to be focusing on reconciling relationships, how to handle them, and how to heal these broken relationships. So first of all, I want us to start off with our key verse this morning, Matthew 5.9, the key verse for our series. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So remembering that this is our goal. We're, our goal is to become peacemakers, to live as children of God. And, the reason we're, and that's the reason we're doing this series. By becoming people of peace and seeking to make peace between others and ourselves, and even functioning as peacemakers between separate parties, we act as ministers of the gospel, and it's a testimony to our faith. By improving our ability to handle conflict and showing love through trial, we are becoming better examples of the kingdom and better evangelists of the gospel. We are all on the same page, right? That's what we're doing here. We're trying to get better at handling conflict to be peacemakers, right? Nod your head, something. Good, okay. So the conversation about restoring relationships in a godly way, godly way starts with us first. So there's a certain amount of preparation that needs to take place on our part before entering into a restorative conversation with someone. Restoring a relationship is a lot like painting, Okay, so how do you get really good results when painting a newly drywalled bathroom wall, for example? So first of all, you have to build a wall. Then you have to hang drywall on it. And then you have to screw all the screws in. Then you have to put tape. And then you have to mud the drywall. And then you have to fill all the screw holes. And you have to do that multiple times with multiple layers of mud, making each one a little wider and wider so that the seams of the wall become... You know, they, they become seamless. It just fades in. And then you have to sand everything and make sure there's no high spots or low spots or dings. And you have to go and correct all those little mistakes. And then, after that, you have to clean up all the dust from the sanding process. And then you have to primer the wall. And then, after all that, you can finally paint. Okay? And if you miss any one of those steps, you're going to have a bad paint job. You're going to get bubbles. You're going to get parts that are sticking out, or you're going to have holes or divots. You're going to see, uh, if you didn't primer it right, you're going to have parts that look different because of how it absorbed into the drywall and mud. And you can see seams and all the holes that you didn't fill. And by that time, you put the paint on, you see all those mistakes, and it's kind of really difficult to fix it. So good preparation is the key to good paint. It only takes a couple like hours to paint, but it takes days to get everything ready to paint. And that's what a lot like resolving conflict is. We need to be really ready to go into these conversations 
spiritually and mentally prepared to handle them in a godly way. So this process starts with seeking wisdom from God through prayer. James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Matthew 5.45 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Both of these verses are pointing towards preparatory prayer. That's kind of a difficult thing to say. A preliminary conversation with God is essential before coming into a conversation with a person. Often, when we're trying to restore relationships, we don't know what to say. We're kind of unsure of what words to say. We have plenty of things we want to say, usually, uh, and we, we know what we want to say to that person, but we're lacking in the powerful, loving, truth-filled words that are going to steer the conversation in a helpful direction. We're also not usually at our best place in our hearts. There's usually anger and bitterness and pain residing in our hearts because of the conflict that we went through with that person. That is why starting with a genuine, heartfelt prayer is so important. God will honor our prayers and grant us supernatural love and wisdom to aid us in restoring our relationships. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to take a look at another passage from the Sermon on the Mount where, God, uh, where Jesus is teaching us how to live in God's kingdom, how to be kingdom citizens. Matthew 7, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Did you find some batteries? Handheld it is. All right, Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Like we talked about, preparation is key to these conversations. So we need to do a large amount of self-reflection before we try and take, before we try and make things right between the person that we've been in a conflict with. We need to legitimately try to self-examine and see our fault in the conflict. We always have something that we could have done better in the conflict, even if it's 99.9999% the other person's fault. We still have a role to play in that because we are imperfect people. We don't always handle situations properly. And most of the time, we weren't so darn self-centered, and our conflict probably wouldn't have happened in the first place. That's exactly what James says. What causes quarrels 
and fights among you. Is it not that your passions are a war within you? Your desires and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. It is our pride and self-centeredness and passion that feeds this conflict machine. Therefore, the beginning of restoring conflict is to get over ourselves, to get over our pride, to get over our self-centeredness. It's this kind of counterintuitive first step that we need to take to make things right with someone else. And you need to say to yourself, you know what? I have a part to play in this, and I need to humble myself. I know I'm not perfect. I made things worse by doing blank or by being blank. And if we're able to get to that point before entering into this conversation, we are going to do so, so, so much better at restoring this relationship. Being in a humble state of mind and praying for that person is going to take us to the next level, to a whole new stage. We're going to reset the stage for this conversation. Rick Warren says, if you're looking for some words to help start the conversation, say, I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. I'm sorry, I did this wrong the last time we spoke. And if you start with that, I mean, those aren't easy words to say, but if you start with that, you're going to be starting by disarming the conversation. You're going to leave the guns and knives at the security gate, as so to speak. So once you're in this conversation, and you're trying to resolve this conflict, and you're trying to restore the relationship, how do you speak? How do you talk? Well, that's what Paul tells us. He gives us some advice. Philippians 2, 4 through 5 says, Let each of you not only look out for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the Greek word for look here is skopeo, which sounds a lot like scope, right? And it's the exact same word that we use for microscope and telescope. And it means to focus. It means to take something small or really far away and bring it into focus, to see it clearly. And Paul is telling us that we need to scopeo each other. We need to focus on each other. We need to regard their interests like our own. And when we're trying to restore a relationship, we need to focus on that person. We need to try to understand their needs, their perspective, and their thoughts. And we need to try to understand them before expecting to be understood. Again, James gives us some really good advice here. He says, know this, my beloved brethren. I bet most of us have heard this before. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When we come to our conversation, let's focus on the other person and let's listen to them first. Listen to their hurt, their perspective, their needs. Let's digest that. And then only then, let's speak our, our pain. Let's speak our opinion. Because those are legitimate too. We are hurt in this conflict, or we have an opinion in this conflict, and that's legitimate. We should be able to speak those things, but we should try to understand the other person first. And when we do speak, we need to make sure that we do it in love. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are, grow, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. And when it's our turn to say things, we need to do this. We need to speak truth in love. It isn't just how we say it, but it's how, it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it. And we need to wrap our words in love like a little burrito. Who doesn't love burritos, right? Take a love tortilla, wrap your words in it, and then give it to them. It's way better. And it's not just about saying the right things the right way. We also need to stay away from saying the wrong things. Just a few verses later, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We need to avoid these harmful words. Just stay, just stay away from them. Don't even use them. We're going to be tempted to use strong words to make our point. But we have to stay away from them. Paul says it again in Colossians 3.8. In case you just needed to hear it again, you must put all of them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And Paul is saying this in the context of taking off the old clothes of our flesh and putting on Christ. We just need to be gentle and led by the Spirit in our conversations. The last verse that Paul gives us in handling ourselves in these conversations is Romans 12, 18. If it is possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Living at peace with someone doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with them on every point. There is a big difference between agreeing with someone 100% and living at peace with them. You need to choose to work alongside someone. You need to choose that you're not going to quarrel and fight with them, that you're going to choose to love them even if you don't agree. Rick Warren gives another quote that I think just says a lot about how Christians can live together. He says, you can disagree without being disagreeable. You can have unity without uniformity. You can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye on everything. When we focus on a relationship, when we focus on that person, I think the problem tends to shrink. Right? When we focus on the problem, it becomes the focus and it grows and it becomes this nasty thing that's in between you and the person. But when you focus on the person, the problem shrinks and the person becomes the focus. So here are some points I want us to take away from this, from the passages we read, on how to restore a relationship, how to, how to bring resolution to a relationship after conflict. Number one, make the first move and prepare yourself. Restoring a relationship is a lot like painting. You need to do a lot of good prep work if you want a good result. So make sure you pray before coming into the conversation where you're going to try and restore this bruised relationship. Pray for wisdom on your part, but also for the other person. Pray that their heart is being prepared for this conversation. I think God will honor those prayers because he wants us to be restored. He wants to bring us together. He doesn't want division. He wants unity. God's going to honor that. So start by preparing yourself with prayer. Number two, reflect on your fault in the conflict. Jesus asks us to examine ourselves before we talk to someone else. If we don't, we're going to be swinging around a big old nasty log in our conversations, and it's not going to go well. We're just going to make things worse. Humility is key. As we read in James 4, it is our pride and self-centeredness that is the cause of quarrel 
and conflict. So one of the first steps in restoring a broken relationship is getting over your pride, examining yourself, and preparing yourself with a humble part. Number three, listen, understand, and then speak. In that order, specifically. We are supposed to focus on the needs and hurts and interests of other people, especially when we're talking to someone that we have a problem with. It is really easy for us to see only our perspective, right? That is, that just comes naturally to us. We don't have to try. We understand our perspective is perfect. We, we have perfect reasoning. We're really good at justifying ourselves. It's much more difficult to listen to someone and try to understand their position, to truly understand the way they feel and why they're doing what they, they did. When we start to empathize with each other, it makes it a lot more difficult to write them off. It makes them a lot more difficult to write them off as crazy or ignorant or stupid, which we try to do sometimes. But if we seek to understand them, that is going to be more difficult. I want us to have this phrase in our head. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Number four, speak the truth in love. In conflict, we get hurt. We have our own pain. We have our own opinions. And those things are valid. But that doesn't mean we get to say whatever we want. It doesn't mean we get to say it however we want to. We need to remove the harsh and unfruitful language from our conversations. We just need to put that out. We shouldn't even use it. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help them. Here's a good way to think about conflict. There are two parties involved, and they're on the same team. So when you're in conflict... You and another person or one group versus another group. You're actually both on the same team. You both want to solve the conflict. You both want to solve the problem, at least most of the time. There are people that just want to fight, and we're talking about them. But if you have a legitimate person who wants to resolve a conflict, you're working on the same team. And if you're on the same team with someone, you don't try to hurt them. You don't try to belittle them. You try to lift them up, build them up, encourage them, because that is what's going to be most beneficial for you and for them. Part of that is giving them the love word burrito. Wrapping it up in love. Paul says to sprinkle it with salt. Make it taste good. Okay, we're not talking about like the frozen taquitos that you get from Meyer. We're talking about like a freshly wrapped Chipotle burrito. Okay, way, way different. Number five. Remember, you are seeking to live at peace with everyone. That is your goal. That is what Paul tells us to do. And living at peace and agreeing with someone are totally different things. I would bet you a million dollars that there's no one on this planet that you agree with 100% of the time. I don't agree with Amber on everything. I know. But yet, we live at peace with each other. At least, I think we do. (laughs) Usually. I don't agree with all of you on everything. I know that for a fact. But yet, I can live at peace with you. And certainly, you don't agree with the person you're in a conflict with because there was a conflict, but that doesn't mean it's impossible to live at peace with them. There are exceptions, as I said. There are people that just want to fight, people that just want to quarrel. And we're going to be talking about that another week when peace can't be reached, when a person just doesn't want to find peace. We'll be talking about that later. But no one wants to feel in conflict. It's an icky feeling. It's a burden. It's uncomfortable. 
So usually both parties are very happy to make peace. We are trying to be peacemakers, right? Living at peace with everyone as much as it depends on us. That means we need to put as much effort as we can to make peace. It's a hard job. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say it's easy. It's not like when we receive the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, every situation works out for us. Jesus himself ran into conflict. In fact, much of the Gospels record his conflict with spiritual leaders. When conflict happens, we're left damaged, like biting our cheek. But following these biblical principles will help prepare ourselves to restore relationships. The Spirit of God will strengthen us to make us flexible so that we can make concessions. Flexibility is a key to restoring relationships. And God's Spirit will do that. So I want to issue the same challenge to you this week as I did last week. I want you to invite God into your life to make you a peacemaker. I want you to think about the relationships that you have that might be damaged. And I want you to think about how you can restore those relationships. Like I said last week, there's exceptions. Some people don't want to restore relationships. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the people you can talk to. The people who really do want to come back into relationship with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this spirit of restoration that you've given us. That we can help reconcile people to us, to each other, and to you. I pray that you give us your spirit, allow us to be flexible and understanding and wise enough to restore these broken relationships. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.